Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for joining us once again here at the Sound Logic Podcast. Today, we're discussing album number 80 on Rolling So Magazine's top 500 list. This is Never Mind the Bollocks. Here's the Sex Pistols by the Sex Pistols from 1977. Now, this is another uh, album that we previously reviewed. So, this is a, a re release. And initially, it was number 41 on all the first three iterations of the list it's dropped down to number 80 so the the last few re-releases ben that we've seen have have suffered a, a pretty big drop in fact yeah. since we only made it to to 60 albums last time of course every re-release now is gonna <laughs> drop um whereas uh, the first bit some of them had had rolls um so so how do you feel about that but it's it's doubled its ranking it was 41 it's 80 so about about 40 spots down yeah uh what do you think about that well i i'm gonna remember this one for a fun conversation with uh yeah. my old uh seminary professor uh, roadie for acbc <laughs> yeah back in the days and um uh, and so Barry I Taylor. remember, yeah, Barry Taylor. I remember him talking about uh, growing up outside of that kind of punk rock world, but recognizing and acknowledging how significant it was. Uh, right. An album like this um, strikes me as something really significant and historical and, and important to hold up and lift up uh, because of the popularity, despite it being from sort of an underground subculture, subgenre. And uh, so it. <laughs> It makes for a really interesting historic album and, and a fun sort of how does this all fit into rock music to pop music kind of conversation. Um, but it's not an album I've really returned much to, and uh, and so I'm not I'm not feeling any sadness that it's fallen off in this way. I'm I'm interested to see what this says about the voting public that it's fallen this way because it's still. It's still edgy music. It's still kind of, um, uh, I guess, groundbreaking might be something you'd use to describe it. Uh, certainly, uh, shifting some of pop culture, and it's, so so it's a little surprising that it's uh, it's dropped off to me. But um, but fascinating, I guess, the, to have it wind up here. Maybe in a maybe in a list that that does a better job of moving beyond white uh, men. That's not too surprising, but. Um, uh, a little, a little bit interesting, I guess, to, to say the least. Yeah, I, I'm actually a little surprised it's dropped this much because it's such a pivotal album in terms of the shift of of not just music but the culture too, and and mm. kind of their their public feuds with record labels and this whole yep. kind of you know um, uh, anarchist idea, right? Like uh, you know, with with the Queen on the front with the is it with the X's on the eyes? Or was that on the single, maybe? Um, yeah, something. You know, just like that. those kind of images, and you know, the Sex Pistols as as a as a name, as a brand, you know, are yeah. still, I think, fairly well known. And I think just the idea of you know, punk rock in its one of its earliest formations, you know, in its 
Casey will kill me for saying this, in maybe its truest form as people who aren't musicians. Yeah. You know, that was the point. Like, it's we're not these trained musicians. We're just, we're getting a message out there, and it's loud, and it's in your face, and, you know, a middle finger up to anybody who says anything <laughs> about it. And, uh, and yet packaged for the mainstream. Like, I think that was the interesting contrast, right? Like, it was... It was all of those things, but also available at your local record store, not just from a guy right. selling albums out of the suitcase or something. Right, exactly. And and there were and there was protest to that too. Yeah, yeah. You know, the record store is saying like, uh, we can't have something in here that says Sex Pistols. Yep, <laughs> that's right. that's not that's not proper. Yeah, and maybe it's just not. You know, if in 2020 they polled people, maybe in 2020. It's not what people are listening to as much anymore. Maybe people are listening yeah. more, I don't know, more ACDC or more, oh, who knows what. But um, I I do find it interesting that it dropped. Uh, it's it's kind of one of those iconic things. I uh-huh. think right up there with like the Clash, London Calling, and, and a few other things from the time. Um, yes, yeah, so a very fun conversation with Barry Taylor. It was great to get his insight and, and just to hear, you know, even some of his stories from what he was doing at the time when that came out. There, we're seeing some other albums from the era, from kind of underground stuff from the 70s and 80s coming onto the list for the first time or moving way up. Yeah. So in the midst of that happening, I'm, I am surprised that this moves down. Because in terms of innovative, I guess maybe because it was so, quote, mainstream or like so well publicized and the other things are kind of more being uncovered again Mm -hmm. for a new age that they're moving up. But uh, yeah, interesting. I I wouldn't, it wouldn't bother me if this was a little higher. Um, It has shifted down quite a bit. But um, I'm okay with it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, um, we'll have to listen ahead and see, and uh, yeah. see what we thought uh, yeah. a little while ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, this finishes another group of ten albums. Congratulations yeah. to Ooh. us! Uh, a couple so, of little pauses in there. Uh, it took yeah. us two weeks to get a few of these up, but we, yeah, we apologize. But, we hope it's okay with our listeners. <laughs> and it's still kind of uh, summertime or just summer is winding right. up now to That's when right. this is yep. getting released. So, you know, everyone's busy, but uh, thank you for sticking out with us and, um, and being patient. And next week we will have our re-rank of the last 10 albums where we talk about how they were ranked and how we would re-rank just these 10 albums. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we hope you join us for that. Of course, we want you to stick around for our re-release of our review of Nevermind the Bollocks coming up right after this. Former guest Colin. Hey gents, what do I think about Rolling Stone downgrading the Sex Pistols to number 80? I don't really care. Um, I think musical choices change, people reappraise and incorporate new music into situations and circumstances and into charts. Music choice is always a matter of personal preference and subjectivity anyway, for the most part. Um, I just think it deserves to be on the list somewhere. I also think that in many ways, uh, much of the original fire and potency and political urgency of punk and even the urgency of the music itself might just be lost on uh, 
the multimedia world that we find ourselves in. But I don't know, as the band might say, bollocks to it all. No credentials. Reviewing Rolling Stone 500. Greatest album. Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for joining us once again. Today we're discussing album number 41 on Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 list. This is Never Mind the Bollocks, Here's the Sex Pistols by the Sex Pistols. We, as we sometimes do, have a special guest with us tonight, and not uh, the for the first time. We've got someone from a whole other country. So this is a tri-nation uh, gathering here this evening. Mike, as you know, is in Canada. Uh, myself here in the United States, and we are joined by uh, I like to know uh, this man as Professor Barry Taylor. Uh, Barry was a professor uh, for one of my classes at Fuller Theological Seminary when I was there. And um, I'm really excited to have him on the podcast for the perspective that I know he will bring. Um, Barry taught a class that I took called, uh, I think it was called Understanding Popular Music, which seems like an interesting title for a theological seminary and an evangelical theological seminary at that. Um, but, but Barry came into that class, I think it was just a sort of shorter um maybe two week summer class and uh and so each day we'd get together the small group of people you know, 20 or 30 of us to just talk about music um i have really fond memories barry of the way that you huh. led us through kind of the history of pop culture you know starting with the sort of delta blues and and carrying us all the way to the present um it was it was really fascinating to be in class with uh, the sort of spectrum of theological students that Fuller provided. You know, there were students who had never yeah. done anything but contemporary Christian music. There were students who, you know, uh, had, yeah. had experienced every kind of genre of music. Um, I think there was a, a woman in the class that year who who was so new to pop music that she actually asked the class to send her our favorite songs. And so she, like, yeah. compiled a playlist of, of all this music that her classmates suggested she should get into and it was just like everything was completely new for her yeah yeah i remember that that was yeah that was interesting there was usually <laughs> there was usually one or two people like that you know that lived that kind of really really sheltered yeah kind of experience where they weren't exposed to anything um, but yeah it was it was a good class i like i like that class it's it was a great class it was it was pivotal for me too i think um you know fuller Fuller shook me up in some really healthy ways. I, I went there, I think, sort of assuming that people who cho who chose that school um, were probably of a similar kind of mindset. One of my very first classes was with Dr. Glenn Stassen, an introduction to Christian, uh, Christian ethics. And, you know, yeah. people were storming out of the class because we were talking about something that, that they just couldn't handle talking about. And I began to see just like the <laughs> spectrum of theological discourse. Yeah at a school that people assume is one thing or another. Um, and and yeah. it was fantastic to, to be able to do that in LA specifically um, and, and to have really fantastic uh, teachers like yourself. I, I dug through my notes from the class. Um, you sort of gave us a final project of writing about our favorite 10 songs and then talking about 
sort of the theology of of popular music kind of as a way to oh, wrap that's things right. up yeah, yeah 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 and i had this paragraph here that um that struck me as something that probably was influential in even how i start to how i've navigated this project here with the sound logic podcast i i wrote for music to be significant to me it must exist within a personal context i've discovered that music is made even more meaningful when it parallels significant moments in my real life uh, Jack Johnson makes makes great music, but it probably is not music that sticks with you if you don't have some kind of connection around it. I had a friend in college who introduced it to me as we went on a late night pizza run. I included a track in our wedding, and and that builds my emotional connection to this music. Uh, it's as if music bonds on a deeper, more spiritual level when it's enjoyed holistically. That is not with our eyes closed and our mind shut off, but as we navigate the world around us. And then I, I say that the same is true with how I experience religion. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm reading this stuff. Uh, the class was in 2010, so a decade ago. Uh, wow. At that point, I had no sense that I would uh, eventually wind up as an alternative campus ministry uh, pastor here at Penn State trying to stand with marginalized students who don't have a place in traditional religious spaces. And I think a lot of it comes from this sort of like way of navigating the world that you introduced in this uh this class about pop music um oh, my, my work is, my work on earth is complete exactly yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, work is yeah. Done. that's a bit of a yeah, long and, and winding uh way of introducing you you are uh um far more than a, a seminary professor uh in so many different kinds of ways um the sort of jaw-dropping thing for most of the class in that time was that you shared that that you were formerly a, a roadie for ACDC. I think none of us expected to go into a fuller seminary class and have that be part of the professor's introduction. Um, but that was <laughs> that was pretty cool too. The question that we ask as we roll into these episodes is, um, what were your preconceived notions? Uh, Mike and I are too young to have been born when this album came out, but um, yeah. Uh, I guess we can start there. Sort of um, any any early memories you have, Barry, or any early thoughts you have, Mike, about who the Sex Pistols were or what they were about to offer when you started to press play, uh, things like that. Well, just one thing, and I wanted to tie it into what you said earlier, Barry, about um, Christian music just kind of copying just the form and yeah. and not really thinking much about the rest of it and that ties into me in how I grew up listening to punk music and not listening to the Sex Pistols when I <laughs> should when I should have been educated in all the punk music. Ben and I have talked about this, so yeah. Uh, I, growing up in the '90s, I was you know attracted to punk music, but it was pop punk. It was all the very very polished um, punk that was coming out. You know, the instruments yeah. were played well. It was recorded very well. It was mixed well, and a lot of what we listened to. I listened to some secular bands, but a lot of Christian yeah. punk bands. So a lot of it was very, very clean and yeah, very sure. safe. So yeah. if I had heard the Sex Pistols at all, either I would have been yeah. too scared to listen to it or would have turned it off right away because I felt I shouldn't be listening to it. <laughs> or yeah. the quality of it was something that was below the, the standard. This is going to sound really weird, but below the standard of what I had started digesting in terms of music and what I knew as punk rock at that time. I remember going and playing a punk show 
I was probably 19 and we got on the bus after and we were not dressed like 70s and 80s punk rockers at all sure. and these guys got on the bus who were probably like we were 20 and these guys were probably around 40 and they were big and they had you know beaten up leather jackets and they were real punks and they were like oh you guys play punk rock and they started listing all the bands that they listened to and really they weren't really dissing us but they were like well do you listen to this do you listen to that and uh, the answer for to all of them from us was no and they were kind of looking at us like yeah you're, you you're not punk rock at all and yeah. we, we were i was like <laughs> uh oh i think i'm in trouble number one we might we're, we might be about to get beat up by these guys number two um i really don't know anywhere near what i thought i knew about this genre even though i'm playing it so um, that's kind of a long-winded way to say I didn't really know the Sex Pistols. I think there's, as I said, a few reasons for that. And Ben yeah. and I have both kind of expressed the gaps in our listening and our education of a lot of music growing up because of the, the context in which we were growing up in. So that's kind of, I guess, yeah. too, I, as I before I pushed play, I still wasn't sure what I would hear because, again, my experience was kind of a very polished punk rock. Uh, this is not that. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think... Uh... Uh, firstly, let me just say one one quick thing, just to go back. I I I don't mean to trash uh, Christian music either. It has a place <laughs> and it has a function. It's just not a particular form of music I care for. So let me just say that. So you know, anybody that's doing it, you know, more power to you. But I don't, you know, I don't want to come off as some asshole that just. Oh, can we swear on this show? Um, <laughs> I have a ten. I have a, so yep. yeah, we've, we've got yeah. some fun sound to yeah. keep our. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. Up. You just, you say whatever you want to say, and we'll uh, <laughs> okay. we'll do with it uh, what we want after. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I, I'm I'm monitoring myself. So. <laughs> 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 um, but uh, but what I was, uh, what I wanted to say was you know I I came of age in in uh, the 70s. So um, but what was interesting um, about the whole punk thing um, was that. I was I was already touring with a um, a band and um, bef and so I grew up, I grew up in a, in a part of you know England out in the country and I, I had a bunch of friends and we were all kind of musicians and they tended to be a bit older than me and most of the stuff that was influential um, in 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 their world I mean I was a big sort of soul and r&b and reggae and blues kind of person that's kind of what right. what, wow. what what shaped me I, I didn't really listen to um i didn't listen to the beatles or anything like that it was not interesting to me i um i really liked sort of um black music for want of a better word um but my friends were heavily invested in uh southern california music the eagles jackson brown um poco the Flying Burrito Brothers, uh, you know, uh, Seals and Croft, uh, Loggins and Messina, all this kind of idyllic California uh, music. And, and I remember really clearly um, going off uh, on tour with, with ACDC and, and coming back. Um, and in the short space of time uh, that I'd gone away on like a six month tour or something, I came back and all my friends were punks. <laughs> and, oh, wow! And it, it wasn't that that was uh, abandoned because they they didn't uh, like throw that music that they loved uh, away. 
but it got replaced. And uh, I mean, uh, I, I came back to a whole new record collection. I was aware of what was going on in uh, punk, and it was very much in uh, in the press at, uh, at the time. But it was sort of fully galvanized by the time I got. And interestingly, um, a couple of friends of mine that that worked for ACDC um, also they did the ill-fated and then cancelled Sex Pistols tour of the UK. So um, right. it was it was in uh, the ether. But um, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of stuff. I mean, there were other bands, you know, the first the first show that I saw was uh, Elvis Costello and the Attractions with the Stranglers, mm -hmm. I think, and the Damned. And then um, <laughs> I never did see the Sex Pistols because barely anybody did because uh, right. they came and went very quickly, you know, and they're a bit like everybody else, you know, everybody says they were there, but I think they only played to about 15 people the first time they <laughs> played, you know, like, like most bands, but you know, there's that kind of mythic thing that gets built yeah. up around it. But um, by the same token, um, you can argue a lot about uh, the genesis of punk you know there's all those debates well you know its roots are in kind of garage rock you know Iggy and the Stooges and uh, the Ramones particularly maybe even the New York Dolls you know and there's all of those debates which came first but but it's kind of inconsequential uh, in, in many ways because without the Sex Pistols uh, I, I don't think you'd have the same kind of uh, world of uh, music I, I, and I think they were like the most vital band of that period mm. and mainly because they were a lightning rod it, I think yeah. it had more to do with yeah, what was wow. going on I think it had more to do actually with what was going on around the Sex Pistols than actually the the Sex Pistols and the music itself even though I, th I think you know for for posterity <laughs> you get one studio album that's like less than 40 minutes long and yeah. uh, it's it's definitive and uh, it wasn't the first one you know um, but uh, it, it just like hangs there and you listen to it today and, and you know I know in some ways uh, uh, as you said Michael that um, it wasn't polished but it was surprisingly polished for the time I mean, I, I can't remember, uh, is it Chris Thomas who was one of the producers? can't remember now, but, you know, the, 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 the production value was actually very simple, you know, but it was also in the 70s, so times were different, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, it wasn't so much compression or effects, you know, it was very... Right. Um, but uh, for the time, uh, it, it was actually pretty good quality, particularly for a, for a punk album. Um, but uh, it also doesn't matter because if you listen to uh, God Save the Queen now, it, it has the same energy, I think, which is what, I yeah. mean, you know, that, that they have their, their trinity of songs, right? You know, Anarchy in the UK, Pretty Vacant and God Save the Queen. I think that's the, that's the trinity of Sex Pistols songs. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, the, that's the, the songs that stand out, I think, on this album, you know, and uh, are what other the benchmarks of um, or the defining moments of the Sex Pistols. I mean, I think there are other great songs on on uh, this album, but uh, those songs and uh, that particular 
moment. And, and I think that's the thing. You know, there's, you have punk music, which is now, I mean, it, it very quickly was a genre, you know, and it became a movement that continues in various forms uh, still today. I mean, there's, oh, there's a band out at the moment, I don't know if you've heard of them, uh, that, uh, they're called Idols. Do you know them? No. no, I don't. Uh, well, you should check them out. You should check them out. Um, uh, but they refuse to call themselves a punk or a post-punk band. But <laughs> if you listen to them, uh, the energy and the influences are 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 there. And um, I, I think you know. That, so there's that kind of trajectory of yeah. you know the genre and, and the movement that it spawned. But then there was the moment, and the moment was galvanized you know, in the mid seventies around the Sex Pistols. And they were, as I said, I think the, the lightning rod for um, whatever punk meant and was going to mean. And uh, and that and, and that's what, what I what I think it, it means. I think there are other great punk bands, um, there are other great punk albums, but but I think the reason this makes it onto the Rolling Stones list is because it's the definitive punk moment that, you know, you, you, and I think, you know, I mean, you think about it, I don't know, I, I can't remember because there's been a few 500 Rolling Stone lists, I think, but, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not yeah. sure, I, I mean, I was thinking about this today, I'm not sure that there's another band that's as significant in the pop music canon with such a small body of work to show for it. Yeah. Yeah, you, you're right on that. One album and a year. I mean, yeah. they, they came and they went. It was like they were here and then they weren't, and yet they're still here. And uh, I, I don't know, you know, you, you think of all the people on there and you think of the arc of their careers. Um, and, and I think you'd have to say that they are more than the sum total of their parts. Yeah. Even though the parts are fantastic, I mean, you know, um, Johnny Lydon. I mean, what a presence! (laughs) Anyway, go ahead. Thinking about yeah, there's a. I read an article or two this week um, that seemed to imply that that the Sex Pistols, rather than what you're saying, and sort of galvanizing the the punk rock movement or music. because of how uh, aggressive and crass and uh, um, politically inappropriate and you know X Y Z, that actually sure. they pushed punk music underground in a way that some bands weren't too thrilled. That that even a band like the Ramones were kind of hoping to take this garage sound and make it more mainstream and popular. And the Sex Pistols come along and just kind of like you know, drive a stake in the heart of that effort. Um, yeah. But I think, well, I, I wonder too, though, if it, if they don't come, maybe we don't, we don't have what you're saying in a galvanization of this one moment in time that everyone sort of looks back to as the genesis or origin. Um, yeah. Well, you like know, these, important. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, these, you know, this stuff is, is the stuff of uh, lifelong pop music arguments about relevance irrelevance importance lack of importance yeah. you know whether you need to know them or whether you should just ignore them you know and yeah and, and I th- but I do think that um, 
there, there are. I mean, they did cause. I mean, they were regarded. I mean, they were like they had meetings in the House of Commons because they were perceived as a threat to the social yes. order. So you know,、Jeez. I mean, I mean, now, I mean, before they'd had that debate about the Beatles' haircuts, but they weren't afraid. <laughs> they weren't afraid of the anarchy that the Sex Pistols were were advocating. And there's no doubt that、um, I, I, I think that there are two things that,、uh, and it's not just the Sex Pistols, but again, the lightning rod is what is what you What you sort of look for in a, in a particular moment in in music history, I think sometimes、mm-hmm. it's a period,、uh, sometimes it's、uh, you know, sometimes it's an artist, sometimes it's a band, but they become, like I said, more than the sum total of their parts, and they、mm-hmm. represent this defining moment. And I think they they were,、uh, I think the the Sex Pistols, whether they saw themselves as this or not. They were like a moral, and, and I think a moral cleansing agent、um, in、uh, the world of pop music that was getting、um, kind of fat and lazy and no longer transgressive, you know, and commercialized. So there was that anti, you know, psychedelic prog rock moment that gets picked up a lot, even though Steve Jones loved. Queen and Bowie and all those people、mm. and、uh, his guitar sounds, you know, echo all of that kind of stuff. But、um, but the other thing was they were、uh, political. I mean, they were taking、uh, a stand, and because you know England at the time was a mess. I mean, it was a it was a it was a horrific time. I mean, you know, by the time I left school.、Um, In、uh, England, there was a four-day work week. There were power cuts. There were strikes everywhere. There was high unemployment. There was、uh, there were、um, trash strikes all over. There was like mountains of trash、um, on the streets of London, like ten or twelve feet high everywhere. Like on Oxford Street, it was like there was fighting.、Uh, there was race rioting. It was all kind. Of, I mean, the country was a mess, and、mm. and you had the sort of、um, politicians kind of doing their usual stuff, and a lot of people feeling marginalised and and left out. And the Sex Pistols、uh, addressed that, and,、uh, mm. and and that's where I think、uh, the complications come in, because、uh, you know, in some ways they were. They were slightly manufactured because you know they were created in some ways by by Malcolm McLaren,、yeah. who who I think again, bands and their managers. You know, that's a, a topic. You know, Elvis had Colonel Tom Parker. You know, the U two had、uh, Paul McGuinness. The Beatles had Brian Epstein.、Uh, the Sex Pistols had Malcolm McLaren, and、uh, he was an architect of of、uh, many things. You know, I mean. And he was a student of、uh, politics, and it was very political. I mean, the band that he managed before the Sex Pistols was the New York Dolls, and he tried to do with the New York Dolls what he wanted to see happen with the Sex Pistols, which was basically create a little bit of political anarchy. And、uh, the last gig that he did, or the, the New York Dolls did in New York, I think he hung a banner on the stage that, that said, "The politics of boredom." Which is taken from Gita Board's、um, 
society as a spectacle and is like a, a slogan of a situationist international, which is like this uh, poetic Marxist anarchist revolutionary through the arts movement. And that filters through. So wow. sure, the Ramones, the Ramones were right to be worried about, you know, not making it on, uh, you know, the pop show, although the Sex Pistols got there as well, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and they didn't, br and they didn't bring down rock music. I mean, you know, I think Pink Floyd did pretty fine, even with, even with the <laughs> Sex Pistols, you know? Yeah. yeah. They're all right. <laughs> They did, a, they did okay for themselves, you know. So, um. One thing in doing, you know, we don't do a ton of research for these. We try and dig up a few details. Uh, but one of the things that surprised me was just learning how successful this album was. Yeah. Like, it's not that they came in and that, you know, the punks in the underground really liked it and, you know, it, it made its way across the pond. Like, it went number one. Like, it yeah. was it was, <laughs> it was commercially successful you know, I think we can safely say among the masses, among you can't have it be number one with just the fringes grabbing onto it. Well, especially especially at the time. I mean, you know, you can get to number one now by selling about ten thousand singles because nobody cares about those. But you know, back then <laughs> yeah. in the seventies, that that actually meant something. And yeah. I think you know that's where the the kind of um, the scandal and the uproar worked in their favor. Uh, especially here in in, right. in in Britain, where I mean, the the tabloid press just went crazy, and of course, mm. the parents were upset, but the young people were like, "Oh, I have to get on to this because this yeah, is yeah. Every, you know," and, and 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 but but by the same token, there was legitimate stuff going on within not just the Sex Pistols, but within punk in general, that was very. Uh, threatening to the kind of status quo but very galvanizing for for young people you know things like i mean the fact that i think punk was one of the first movements where women got a decent looking you know female i mean the first band that i ever did like professional work for was a band called x-ray specs um, who were this terribly incapable uh, musically banned from London and their, their singer uh, she was brilliant her name was uh, her stage name was Polly Styrene <laughs> <laughs> and they had, a sax, they had a sax player and a drummer and a bass player and her and it was like a, a cacophonous mess but they were brilliant and you know this whole thing of um, you know three chords and the truth you know or three chords and go make a band which was one of the first fanzines but you know so the, the sex pistols <laughs> were, and sex pistols and punk were were there was a lot of room for gender i mean you know there were it, it wasn't all, all all pure you know there was racism and misogyny and all that kind of stuff because there always is you know it's never singular but there was space you know susie and the banshees um the slits uh so many um, bands fronted by and, you know, filled with uh, women playing music, um, you know, gays were uh, accepted, um, even though on, on this album, you know, there, there's some kind of um, slightly, it could be interpreted as like homophobic language, but apparently Johnny Rotten used to like to go hang out in gay sex clubs just to see what was going on. So, you know, it's never, it's never, it's never clear, you know what I mean? Yeah. And again, that's what makes it so interesting. But yeah, it was, it was very, it was popular. And I remember, I mean, you know, 
it was it was a wild time i think the the country was was trying to work out how to deal with a political situation and and punk in some ways rode that political uh anxiety and it galvanized people and punk became more than anybody thought it would i think mm. and 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 then just today you know yeah and, uh, i mean you still have people that are inspired by that how it also kind of breaks down is that i think because when i when i say or when i said that i think they were a sort of lightning bolt and that they're the sum total of or they're more than the sum total of their parts and and yeah and it's what happened around the sex pistols and, and punk of that era in, in general that that's really important I, i i think there there are there are just basically a couple of um responses that that came out of that and and, and the one is you know and, and you still see this today it's like they just i don't know they mimic they mimic the sex pistols or whatever and and I, and i think this is where yeah, um yeah. in some ways with with something like christian punk it sort of appropriated the the look and the feel mm -hmm. and tried to translate that energy and i'm being careful here because i had some friends in a couple of actually pretty good christian <laughs> punk bands kudos to the altar boys um, <laughs> but um but the other thing was the the and, and this is where i where i i think punk is the 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 more interesting musical genre to think about um because the essence of punk i think was that it was about people finding new ways not only to express themselves but to be themselves mm -hmm. and and i think so for me this is what arguably would make somebody like bob dylan uh, a punk because i think his entire career has been built on the exploration of becoming fully himself with no regard for what anybody else thinks about it and, and i think that's the real i'm not saying bob dylan's a punk but that's the, that's the spirit <laughs> yeah. of punk and that's why it endures because yeah. that's really that's what you i think that's what you have to take away or that's what you can take away even right. from uh never mind the bollocks which you know is basically slang for stop talking crap yeah i mean i think mike and i have talked before about the the christian punk and ska that seems so soft and tame now Yeah. like felt edgy to us as sheltered oh. Christian boys. And I think oh, instilled something in us that like gave us just that first little bit of permission to push back at some uh, traditional assumptions or norms. So even though it was like watered down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, I mean, but the, you know, there's, there's watered down non-Christian punk, you know, right, you know what right, I mean? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, it, this, the minute somebody in, in a recording and, studio goes oh give me some punk guitar you know that we're already in that kind of territory um, <laughs> and and i and i and, and again I, i i think that uh within within um the christian music world when those you know there were there were lots of debates in uh 
the 80s and 90s over whether or not certain forms of music were acceptable, you know, heavy metal and punk being two of them, and then later, you know, hip hop and, and, yeah. and stuff like that. And there are always those uh, debates. I only part company with Christian music because I think sometimes uh, the formatting of it uh, is actually not purely the formatting of pop music because I think popular music, um, I'm not going to say the lyrics don't matter because they do matter, but the meaning of a song is in the sum total of its parts. Mm -hmm. And if you are using certain parts of the song or the, the makeup of the music uh, purely as a, a background for the words that you want to get out there, then what you're talking to some degree is a bit of musical propaganda rather yeah. than the, the creation of a song. I don't want to be too harsh about that because I think there are always exceptions to that, to that, that rule. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I think whenever you use a, a form of music too carefully, you, you sort of run into this area of, um, it gets complicated. That's all I'll say. It's just get complicated. Yeah. I, I don't want to trash it at all. Just, uh, <laughs> uh, there's just no point. There's no point. And there's no point in having those arguments. I just, right. I worry sometimes it's like, yeah. And again, you do see this because you, you do have within, I don't know why we're talking so much about Christian music. Look what happens when you listen to, <laughs> look what happens when you listen to punk, punk music, you start talking about Christian music, right, yeah. but, you do, but, you, but you do, but you do have the, the sort of gatekeepers and theological policemen on, on the borders going, you can't say that yeah. and you must say this. And right. which I think is firstly, uh, it's, it's, uh, wrong <laughs> from, it's wrong from a theological perspective. And, and usually, um, it's propaganda, not theology anyway, it's, or actually it's ideology, <laughs> it's ideology, not theology. Yeah. And, uh, but secondly, um, I, I, I think you ought, if there's anywhere you should be able to say anything, it's in the realm of the religious, but that doesn't seem to get across with most people. They seem to think that you can only say certain things, but, um, so that's why I say pop music has to do your theology for you because in the realm of pop, transgressing borders and boundaries uh, mm -hmm. is part and parcel of the, the nature of, uh, of the thing. If we we're ever primed for a moment uh, for music to speak prophetically into the weird mix of Christian theology and politics <laughs> right now it seems like man we sh we are about to get some good music i hope there's got to be a yeah, you, here happening <laughs> yeah you hope so <laughs> let's not even go there <laughs> no it's the happy space for right now um yeah do we, you want to dive into la, la, some la. <laughs> you want to dive into some details mike as we get rolling here details 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 so as we mentioned, this album came out uh, in 77, October 28th, and it was their only studio album. And I want to make a confession before we continue any longer. Before I listened to this album, you know, for in preparation for this, I just assumed it was their first of a catalog that I just had never tapped into. Um, yeah. Right. This, is one, the, this is one of the easier band catalogs to get through. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> 
deep I, I thought, you know what? <laughs> I've I've never gotten into the Sex Pistols. I feel embarrassed. I haven't listened to this album. I'm going to listen to that, and I should probably listen to their other albums too. <laughs> and, yeah. then, and then I realized, oh crap, that that's yeah. it. Like that's all that happened, that, and that's probably why I didn't know a lot of their history because this is it, and yeah. I didn't know about you know uh, Sid Vicious' uh, tragic passing. You know, shortly afterwards, um, and of course, uh, the or Johnny Rotten had already. Um, put the band to an end and, and they may have continued in some way shape or form but but that was it so yeah um you know we have talked a few times ben about uh, on this list you know we're at 41 albums now there have been a few i want to say about five uh so far that it's their debut album um and i always find that very impressive that you could you know be the best 40 of anything the first time you do something yeah, like right. that's impressive <laughs> And then this is this is an anomaly because not only this is is this their debut album, but it's their only album. They did it once; yeah. they never did it again, and they right. nailed it. Uh, and that's impressive in and of itself. Um, and uh, so, the, so you talked about the writing, Ben. So it took a while. And Barry, you also mentioned that their producer uh, had kind of he was really crafting. I don't want to say like a super group, but he there, there was a lot of production behind the scenes in building up to what this band would be, and I think that was interesting to read about. That it wasn't just it was it, there was some of it, but it wasn't just a few guys in a garage and they got together. Like th- there was some semblance here of trying to make yeah. something really good. Well, yeah, I mean they were you know they were they were signed to Virgin Records. I mean you know which was you know a pretty big deal, and uh, you know the goal was. To make to make something of of value, I mean, you know, tech, music, music and technology go hand in hand, and um, the fact that they had musical limitations, maybe on. I mean, when Sid Vicious came in, he actually couldn't play bass, but he looked be- he looked better than Glenn Matlock. Essentially, is what it boils down to. And, and I mean, I think that's really true. I think that's what. What sort of happened? He was like a fan of the band, um, but he was, you know, a cooler dresser than than uh, some of the others, and they sort of pulled him in, and he couldn't really play. And this, of course, was part of the whole um, resistance side of uh, of punk that was challenging the broader music industry because you did have all of these, you know, very elaborate prog rock bands like Pink Floyd and Yes and Emerson Lake and Palmer and uh, you know it's very calculated and, and very much about musical proficiency and, mm-hmm. and then you've literally like I said you know got m- magazines with they've, they've hand drawn three chords on the front and said okay here's three chords now go form a band <laughs> and, uh, and that's uh, and, and so you, you have that that very primal di- dynamic, but you know, Steve Jones is a pretty accomplished guitar player, and uh, Paul Cook is not a shabby drummer uh, at all. And, and Glenn Mat- Matlock uh, was a pretty basic uh, bass player, but you know, in rock music, basic bass playing is kind of all you need. <laughs> to hold it to hold it down you know and then you've got um you've got the singer and in and in johnny rotten you don't really even have i mean i don't know if 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 you even call him uh 
a singer. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, somebody said that Johnny Rotten is the sound of one id screaming. <laughs> you know, it's, and, and it, it's it's a how, and, and and this is the whole thing. And again, that comes back to that statement you made, you know, about the Ramones and other bands, you know, kind of feeling maybe that this got in the way. I mean, they're they're. I mean, this album has it has themes, and it, it it's got a, a a direction. Like I said, it, it, it's the result of 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 uh, the moment that they find themselves in. But it but it's not like a a, a, a narrative album. It, it's a provocation. Mm. You know, it, it's a provocation. It's a stake in the ground. It, it, it's a two fingers to the world. I mean. You know, it's it's protest music of a different kind. This is not, you know, yeah. the answers are blind in the wind. This is like, you know, God save the queen. She ain't no human being. You know, this is right. anarchy in the UK. This is, you know, no future, no future. Um, yeah. I mean, it, this is, it, it's political, it's economic, it's social, uh, it's aberrant, you know. And again, and, and then it's combined with, the clothing, which isn't slick, you know, you couldn't go anywhere. I mean, that's not true. You could go to certain places like, you know, Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood had, had a shop, but punk was do it yourself fashion. That's where the, that's where the, you know, safety pins and the vinyl and the sex fetish clothing all came from. It was all designed to provoke. And, you know, it was purely transgressive, even as it was attempting, I think to, uh, make a, 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 and I really, I'll, I'll say this again really clearly, a moral statement, um, both about the music business, but more importantly, about the state of Western culture, and particularly Britain at, mm. the, at that point in time. And they were doing all of that and still being, uh, you know, having a good time. It wasn't like, oh, we're a political band, you know, we're going to form a party <laughs> and run run for government. It's like, you right. know, you can be, you can, you can make, a provo- you can make provocation and still uh, live the life of a hedonistic youth. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, the yeah. twi- and the two can live side by side. But maybe that was another tangent from your point again, Mike. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> As I was listening this week, I, I was thinking about... Um, uh, I've never thought about a lead singer as sounding sarcastic while they're singing. But I, I think that's a good <laughs> describing word for for the sort of attitude that comes off of the mic um, throughout this album, that there's like a, there's a sarcasm or, or something present that oh, I don't yeah. think I well, ever I... hear in any other band. <laughs> and... Have you, have you ever seen um, that documentary, the filth and the fury? Did I show that no. in class? Uh, oh, it's, it's, don't remember that it's, if you it's did. A, yeah, it might've come later, but it's, it's a, a documentary um, uh, called the filth and the fury. And it's about the sex pistols. It's worth watching because you'll you'll get some explanation in there from Johnny Rotten about where and how he formed the persona that he exercised on stage and why you're nailing it, you know, with the sarcasm and stuff like that. It was again, you know, it was there was intention behind it. Um, But yeah, I mean, he wasn't trying to be some smooth cabaret singer he wasn't even trying to be a, he wasn't even trying to be a rock singer particularly um yeah. although i think he's one of the great rock singers hmm. but there again i like i like my favorite 
singers are the ones that can't really sing. So <laughs> <laughs> Nick Cave, Leonard Cohen, you know. <laughs> I like that it was going to be called God Saved the Sex Pistols. Um, yeah. And and that never mind the box was uh, something that they had overheard people talking about as a sort of working, like you said, a working class expression of just like stop talking rubbish or or you know yeah. like, this is crap. And uh, and then you know they still use that God save the phrase in, uh, in the title of an of a track then specifically. Yeah. Um, I like that note. I like that um, <laughs> Noel Gallagher of Oasis fame is is quoted as saying, "I made ten albums in my mind, none of them match up to that uh, to this album here that we're talking about." And I'm an arrogant bastard. <laughs> yeah, he says I did. I yeah. give them all up to have written that. I truly would, which is which says something. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, that comes back to that whole thing of you know the significance of of the Sex Pistols, yep, um, and the fact that you know you've got these few songs that just hang in the air mm-hmm. in the ether of of, of pop music, and and uh, I mean, I, I find myself into and and, and I, let me just go on record and say it's not like I'm the world's greatest punk music fan either. Like I said to you, I, I went away, I was away on tour uh, and I came back and all my friends were punk. So, it, it, I mean, on, on some level, I sort of missed punk uh, in terms of being in, in England when it was all kicking off. But I definitely understood and, and got the message that was being transmitted and, and felt great affinity, particularly um, on the political level with uh, what was being addressed and what was being talked about and uh, the, the way in which the music voiced the, the frustration of uh, a particular moment in a, in a very, very primal, primal way. And it was a scream and uh, uh, rage, anger, you know, yeah. anger, uh, uh, anger about, uh, the failure of promises and uh, the inability of people to uh, adjust their way of looking at the world to incorporate newness or allow people to be themselves and to realize things about their 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 lives. In some ways, I sort of missed the initial... I mean, I caught up pretty quickly and... Uh, <laughs> became you know, quite a, a quite a devotee of uh the clash and some of the other bands uh, but always loved i mean it's hard not to love uh you you hear um those opening chords and it's like you know what's coming and it still yeah. excites i mean i i listened to it today because i was um going to be talking to you and i listened to it on my record player and then i listened to it on um, my iphone and you know you have to turn it up. Your, your ears have to hurt, <laughs> and uh, and and it still thrills. And 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 I every once you know I still find myself um, surprised by two things: one that people have never listened to the Sex Pistols. You know, I mean, I uh, but I guess I shouldn't be surprised when I was teaching <laughs> theology a lot. Um, but, but 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 the 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 reception and the surprising kinds of people who when they actually get exposed to um the music it just resonates draws them in 
Yeah, Jaws and well, Brains. It still feels ch- it still feels like it's cha- challenging the powers and principalities. You know, it still yeah. it still has um, the same sort of middle finger to the establishment uh, that you know. Uh, there was a note um, this week that the al- the single "God Save the Queen" went all the way to number two, and there's a there's a sort of conspiracy theory that it was probably number one. But no yeah. one wanted to acknowledge that it was number one in the country at the well, time. <laughs> well, you know, you can't. You, you know, over here, you can't mess with the queen. Apparently, that's right. That's right. So and and I think that like that, <laughs> it doesn't seem like that was in a vacuum. Like for some reason, the power of of this seventies album just has continued to stay with it. And yeah, and you you know you can you can see Sex Pistols T shirts at. Um, you know, left-wing rallies still today. and Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because I think, you know, the the interesting thing is that punk didn't go away. It, it right. seeped into the culture in profound ways. I mean, that's why I, I, I think, you know, the whole look of um, the album, you know, and the, the iconic work of um, Jamie Reed, who, who was you know, a, a pretty well-known uh, graphic designer um, at the time, but also uh, very left-wing politically, influenced by the Situationists and early postmodern stuff. And, and you know that, I mean, you see this stuff now, and it doesn't, I mean, it looks very cool, and it's iconic, but it's not as surprising as when it appeared in... Uh, the 70s because you have to put you know what sometimes what you have to do i think is put these things back in the environment in which they emerged yes and you know this whole idea of like um the kind of ransom uh typeface that that this was this was the era of um i mean if if you take you know i taught i taught uh, an art school and i taught in uh the advertising department and and if you get into like the history of design and graphic design particularly and typography and stuff like that what sticks out is how um out of left field uh jamie reed's work came um Mm. in in uh, the 70s and what you know because everybody else was doing clean and slick it was you know it was after the 60s it was all about the future and uh everything looking pretty and all of the technology was allowing things to become brighter and shinier. And well, you know, isn't that, isn't the yeah. artist on the chart at the same time at the top Rod Stewart, which yeah. I think just is like so perfect that those are the two kind of yeah. songs going head yeah. to head in that a- era. <laughs> absolutely. But, but you know, so, so that, that kind of um, visual punk thing um, it, it's everywhere now and and we use all of this stuff but at the time it was again it was it was challenging because people you hadn't seen that kind of stuff and you know different kinds of typeface these bright colors you know the safety pin in the nose of the queen you know and the the ransom type you know the union jack um all that kind Mm. of stuff and jamie reed still does uh provocative work today still working and and uh still makes provocative i mean he went on to do quite a lot of um 
artwork in I, th I think in the music business but in his own right as a, as a graphic designer and uh still you know provocation but but what what i was going to say was you know it it's seeped into everywhere and uh there's always this little punk edge in a lot of things and if you sort of look around in the in the wider culture it, it's interesting how um how much the sort of punk look and approach to things the do the do-it-yourself stuff mm -hmm. um you know make it out of whatever's available um has come back um into vogue and uh becomes part of the tools by which people can uh you know express themselves but again it's iconic you know you see the yeah. album you know yeah. you know if you if you covered up the sex pistols people would still know what it was that's right oh yeah for sure Even, you know nobody else could sort of pull that one off really <laughs> well, why don't we get into the artwork um the, this is an interesting one there's been a few albums already on the uh the list so far that had different covers depending on where they were released um the cover right. art doesn't change all that much but the colors definitely do <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah so so the album cover is bright yellow and pink essentially um yeah. in the uk and then yep. uh, North America gets uh, sort of like Christmas colors, kind of red and green uh, variation on that. Yeah. Um, I didn't see any rationale or reason for why they're they're done that way, um, but but anyway, that's <laughs> that's how it unfolds. I know. I, maybe Americans just were a little nervous about pink. I don't know. <laughs> maybe that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <You> it's <laughs> harder on Who the knows? American retina. I don't know. There's something going on there. Yeah. 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 And you've got a fairly standard uh, typeface for Nevermind, just sort of a bold font, and then uh, sure. the bollocks. And then here's the as in sort of tiny type. And then, like you referenced, Barry, Sex Pistols is this like kind of uh, ransom note mix match of fonts um, on a sort of swooping, <laughs> uh, uh, coming up, I guess left to right through the bottom of the album cover. And yeah. I'm imagining a sort of the, the vinyl size. It's a pretty uh, retina searing kind of thing in either color combo. Um, it's really in your face if it's sitting on the shelf. Yeah. And again, especially at the time, you know what I mean? Mm. Because you, if again, if you put it up against other um, albums that were around in the same, the same period, um, you start to see how much this looks like a sort of kind of do-it-yourself punk album rather than the slick. Yeah. You know, there's no picture. There's no. There's no picture of the band. You know, their 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 type. It's all. You know, the letters are all different sizes. Um, you know, it's not going to fit nicely in in a little square. It, it needs to be sort of laid out in a in a um, different way. You know, and exactly. Uh, I mean, it, you know, he. I mean, he did. He did a few other bits and pieces for them, you know, for like "Holiday in the Sun" and uh, some of the singles that got released. And Jamie Reed is also. I think I'm. I would have, as a younger teenager, seen "God Saves the Queen" the artwork for that before I ever saw "Never Mind the Bullocks." Um, yeah, you know, yeah. With the with the eyes and mouth kind of um, covered up in a yeah. sort of cryptic looking way. 
Um, the single for that one was was purple with that iconic image of the queen. Um, yeah. It would it have had the same impact if it wasn't actually her face, if it was just like the album cover with just the font, um, it would have lost some of its edge, right? If, if her oh, actually, think, well, yeah, because you, you know, I mean, there, there is this very kind of weird thing, particularly, uh, here in Britain, you're not supposed to mess with the image of the queen. Like, you know, mm. if you, yeah. you know, if you buy a stamp here, um, it's got a picture of the queen on it. And technically, if you put it on upside down, you you know that they, they won't. I'm sure they would now. They probably don't change the way they used to. But before it, they'd like send it back to you and say, you know, <laughs> this is like so. So to have this thing, you know, and she's, you know, at one point, you know, she had like he put uh, he put swastikas in her eyes and a safety pin through oh. her nose. You know, I mean oh. that's oh. and uh, you know, and then you're covering her in ransom. Type. Yeah, I mean, you know, that, that's you know, and, and you're putting it on then on, on a, a British flag, you know, the Union Jack. I mean, yeah. that's a that's a statement, you know. And Jamie Reed was an anarchist, so uh, anarchy in the UK was right up his alley. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? But but the, it's it's a it's a very uh, anarchic image again, particularly yeah, uh, particularly at the time. I mean, you know it's one of those things that that is less shocking now because it's so familiar mm-hmm. right yeah but yeah. at the time you know and again like punks when punk when punks first appeared on the streets of london you know in you know and they weren't buying their clothes from hot topic you know what i mean or <laughs> you know or, or wherever you know and um they were literally, you know, wearing, you know, bondage gear out in the streets, you know, like fetish wear yeah. or you know, dressing like Charlie Chaplin, basically, you know, with clothes held together with pins, you know. And this is an era where, yes, you've been through the 60s, but, you know, people are still dressing, especially in Britain, you know, um, suits and all this kind of stuff. And then you, you start to see people dyeing their hair and, and, you know, gluing it up because, you know, hairspray was not as pervasive you know there wasn't like a million hair gels and you know <laughs> special right. special punk hairspray then you know it was like you used eggs and and, and super glue to stick that <laughs> stuff up you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, and all that stuff so you know the imagery um around the album cover and then you know there were, there were other albums that had similar looks but you know it's, it's interesting that you don't get a you know they didn't try and sell the sex pistols at least on the album, you know, on their looks. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, other, other than the fact I'm thinking about the, you know, the yellow and pink one, other than the fact that it says things like bollocks and sex pistols on it. Yeah. I mean, that would have been offensive to probably a lot of people uh, when it came out, but just, just, I think what it represented too. I mean, the police were visiting Virgin record store telling them to take it down (laughs) because because it was it was it was indecent i mean you can't buy that kind of publicity (laughs) somebody got taken to court for one some record store owner right i think yeah uh yeah and there was was, there's a pretty funny um 
reference here to the 1899 Indecent Advertisements Act. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's, that's Britain for you. <laughs> that's how we roll over here. Bring out a 17th century law and just stick it to you. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Um, you know, that, but to me, that's, again, you have to, and, and Ben and I have talked about this challenge many times. It, we've seen this so many times. I mean, to say sex pistols now, it, it's a phrase that we're familiar with, even if it is kind of like, oh, what are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, it's hard to put yourself back in, you know, 1977, you know, L- London, you know, proper, you know, England, uh, where this is like very inappropriate. And, and it's it's hard when, you know, you've just been seeing things for decades to take to put yourself back there and go, yeah, this would have been. I mean yeah. the the queen image the queen image you know back to God save the queen like that's that's treasonous right yeah, yeah I mean like it, like that's it, serious stuff it, it's this upsetting people oh yeah <laughs> it, oh for up, real yeah up, and let's just discuss the fact that I mean we haven't even talked about this I, I you gotta say that one of the greatest names for a band ever is the Sex Pistols. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yep. you know, and if you're, you know, if you're, you know, at home listening to Bing Crosby, and then it's like, and now for the latest single from the <laughs> Sex Pistols, you know, I mean, it, it, it's it's kind of in it's in your face, you know, and uh, it's it's uh, it's loaded with uh, transgression and resistance and all that kind of stuff, which. Uh, I, you know, um, are they're obviously quite challenging to lots of people uh, from their kind of religious belief perspective, you know, particularly from their kind of ideological conditioning uh, in terms of how to appropriate stuff. But but beyond that, it's it's theologically uh, challenging to sort of deal with you know anarchistic transgressive um negating nihilistic uh things and finding ways to uh not just rationalize it but to sort of understand it and to sort of embrace it from a theological from a theological perspective it's it's challenging all the way around i mean and the name alone the sex pistols you know hard to bring that one up on a sunday sermon (laughs) (laughs) it shouldn't it shouldn't be it shouldn't be, but 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 it quite often is because yeah. we we've kind of created these clean spaces and we don't want to bring dirt in because no. for some reason we seem to think that the dirt is more powerful than than the clean, which ironically then just gives it more power. I mean, I think of course that's and then is, I think that's yeah. the brilliance of punk music, right? They yeah. know people will be upset by it, and that elevates it even more. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the fact you know, I mean the the whole furor around the the Sex Pistols came from one like news time, like dinner time television talk show where somebody swore almost accidentally, and the host, whose name I forget now, but um, was quite well known at the time, but was also quite provocative, like picked up on it and made a big deal and then sort of incited them to like repeat and to swear. And so they just did. And that's all it took for them to become like the worst thing 
ever to happen to Britain <laughs> and the downfall of the nation and why did we go and fight the war for this mob? <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Right. The the name of the I wanted to tell one funny story about the name of the band. So I I have a, a son who's he just turned ten, ah. and you know so you know dirty words are kind of the f- funniest thing ever right now. Yeah, of course. Uh, and uh, so yeah, I, I have in common with your son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for some of us that never changes. Exactly. <laughs> so I um last week I. <laughs> yeah, I I had uh, I had my laptop out and I and I put on this the album because uh, I wanted to you know listen to it as much as I could and he comes over and says uh, what are you listen to I said oh, it's the next album for you know for the podcast he says uh, what is it I said it's the Sex Pistols and his eyes almost fell out of his skull he just looks at me <laughs> what <laughs> like and then I had that moment it was apparent where you go. Uh oh, I probably shouldn't have said that out loud. <laughs> um, and I think I'm failing at this parenting thing. And then, of course, he asks me to repeat it. What's the name again? <laughs> <laughs> and then I had also had another moment where I was like, well, it's just become such a common phrase for me. I forget, like, we probably shouldn't, I probably shouldn't be saying that. And like the connotations of what that means is like, you just get again you get whitewashed with it but he like he thought that was the funniest thing so now he's asking me like hey uh are you gonna listen to the sex pistols <laughs> like <laughs> now there's now there's license to use that phrase all the time so that's hilarious <laughs> father of the year already i'm in the running well done well done you the way you just <laughs> sit him down make him listen to the album buy him a t-shirt he'll get over it <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i think he's quite thrilled with it uh <laughs> right you know, you mentioned Barry that kind of the the trinity of this album is you know God Save the Queen, Anarchy in the UK, and Pretty Vacant. Yeah. Um, and I would say that that definitely they stand out um, as I don't know they especially the first two. Uh, Pretty Vacant is good too. They yeah. they they have something else above the other ones, and I'm not exactly I can't put my finger on it, but there's just something about them that really stick with me. Other than those three. Yeah. Uh, what what is one or two of your favorites, Barry? You know, on this album as you've been listening to it recently. I, I think "Holidays in the Sun" is kind of funny. No feeling, problems. I mean, on on, on some levels, I, I I think the other songs on the on on the, on the album that don't get as much airplay are probably they probably sound more like you'd expect punk songs uh, to sing. Yeah. Uh, to sound like you know when 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 you listen to them, and they tend to cover a little bit more of uh, generic territory. I, I I think you know they they tend to I think be more in the realm of like the general angst and alienation that you get in a lot mm-hmm. of pop music. But um, I, I, I I yeah I th- I think I'd go I think I'd go with. Uh, holidays in the sun I, something about it i just always think is kind of and i don't i don't really have a, a particular mm-hmm. reason why i like it other than i think it's again it's partly because there's uh it, it's a play on this notion of english people going away on uh you know because that's a big thing over here because we live in a place where there's no <laughs> sunshine so going away for a holiday in the sun is what British people do, usually to somewhere yeah. cheap, you know, in uh, Spain or, or 
or somewhere like that. Um, and, and I think, again, th there's so much irony uh, in uh, a lot of the, the songs and that, that yeah. sneering kind of... Um, I mean, what, what's that line, you know? Uh, I, 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 but it's also provocative. I mean, it's, you know, a cheap holiday in other mm -hmm. people's misery. And then mm -hmm. he starts talking uh, about, I want to go to the a new, uh, new Belson, you know, which is concentration camp. I want to <laughs> see some history. I mean, that's, you know, on one level, it's very tongue-in-cheek. And on another level, once again, it's like right a gut punch to uh, things that are held yeah. sacred by uh, other other generations. And, and you know, right. it, it can be very easily um, interpreted as just, um, and I think this happened a lot with um, Johnny Rotten because he was, he just did the, those, those lyrics. You sort of have to, again, look at them in, in the context of what they're trying to say overall, which is not to advocate for um, Nazism or, 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 you know, to revel in, in the horror of concentration camps, but it, but it's, but it is to uh, highlight the misery of um, what was going on with working class people at the mm -hmm. time, you know, so the opening line, it's a bit like a, you know, this will be a, a, a stretch and I'm not advocating making this kind of stretch but you know how like in the Psalms if you want to know the meaning of the Psalm it's always in the first mm. line like you know right. it's like the first line is the meaning it's like the result and then the rest of the Psalm tells you how you came to that conclusion you know it's right. like you know I I, I, I I came to understand the I don't know the goodness of God, you know, and yeah, then I fell. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the rest of the psalm is this like journey through um, basically how you got there. And and so, you know, I don't want a holiday in uh, a, a cheap holiday in people's yeah. misery. Um, that That's what that's what the song's about. It, it's about the fact that um, miserable people going on a cheap holiday in the sun to escape the misery of their their uh, lives, because that's essentially the condition that a lot of people were finding mm. themselves in, um, kind of alienated for lots of reasons. Um, and, you know, part of that is youthful alienation because, you know, we're a couple of decades into pop culture now, so we, we, we've got the beginnings of things like generation gaps, you know, which didn't happen yeah. Yeah. before, really, because the trend, you know, youth culture is this insertion into the history of... Um, human development in, in, in the West. I mean, you had adolescents before, now you've got teenagers, and with teenagers you get teenage angst, and then you get individuation, and you get alienation, and of course we hate our parents. Um, well, you, you, you hate your parents because the world that they live in mm -hmm. is not the world that you want, um, um, mm -hmm. and you've been conditioned to, to want to live uh, in a world where you can realize yourself and you don't realize yourself by falling into step with the generation that's gone before you realize yourself by, if you like challenging the follies of that, that generation and, and forging your own path. Um, but when that's thwarted by politics that deprives people who are already on the lower rungs of the social ladder, um, then you have that. So, 
I like holidays in the sun for that reason. And I think part of it is that um, I, I, I sort of understood. I grew up in a working class family. And like I said, I came of age. I mean, I was doing okay. I was on the road with a band. So I, I was kind of immune to a lot of the, the social ills that were going on at the time. I was quite lucky in, in, in that regard. But socially, I was incredibly aware of the, the pain that people were going through and right. um, could understand the, the deep levels of frustration, you know, as, as and, you know, it's, it's after the 1960s. So whatever we had of like hippie culture <laughs> <laughs> has given, has given away to, you know, I mean, the seventies, and I think actually we're living in the seventies again now. Um, I think more than any time I've been alive since the seventies, this feels like the 70s mm. not only are they bringing back flared trousers but i think politically <laughs> i think politically we're we're at one of these kind of uh, junctures that that feels an awful lot like um things felt back then mm. well and you've got uh, the the track starts with the marching boots sound which turned yeah, into exactly. the percussion um i mean it, it, it just it feels like you're you're sort of in step marching into this uncomfortable yeah and again very cal- i mean with. Very calculated. Yeah. And, and and of course, that's going to upset. <laughs> Not that I don't think, you know, um, lots of people were sitting down, you know, let me listen to this. Who are these sex pistols? Let me listen to them. <laughs> but if you did, and you heard the sound of, you know, those marching beats and those jackboots, you wouldn't be happy. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. But you're not supposed to be. Right. No. <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nope. Boy, we need that uh, too. Nope. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Ben, did you have uh have some favorites here? I I just think that when I listen to this, it, it's another one of these albums that I feel like works best um as a package that that it takes you on a journey and I don't I don't leave feeling satisfied if I just listen to a single track like I want to I want to keep keep digging a little deeper as you go through the album. Um, the one that I think maybe has stuck out with me is the closing track. I had to do a little bit of research to figure out why, who or what EMI was, and it's their record label that they'd sort of parted right. ways with. They're yeah. angry with them. Um, yeah. And the way that that sarcastic sneer kind of says, EMI, you know, throughout yeah. the song is just... Yeah. It's like brilliant, uh, almost theatrical way of, of presenting the subject matter. Um, yeah. And I think that happens on a number of songs here too, where, yeah, it's not it's not necessarily that the voice is being used like an instrument. Like we mentioned that, I think, when we talked about the mm-hmm. Love album, that each song almost feels like an intentionally different kind of instrument with the lead voice. This is different yeah. than that. There's a, there's a similar kind of... Uh, sound from the the lead vocal all the way through but uh it picks and pulls in different kinds of ways depending on which track you're on and uh, it's really brilliant and you know emi at the time you know emi was the big conglomerate okay and so uh they were the establishment you know the pinnacle of the sort of record companies and and then virgin was you know Richard Branson's at the time upstart record label hmm. that he formed. You know after he used to sell albums out the back of his car. 
Amazing. I think I think something that I really appreciate about this album, just in general, uh, especially compared to uh, London Calling and the Ramones yeah. self-titled album, both of which came on the list ahead of this one, there's just a rough around the edges feel. Um, doesn't concern itself too much. You know, back to what you said all the way back at the beginning, Mike, we may have dismissed this in high school for not sounding like uh, Blink-182 sort of super overproduced <laughs> uh, punk sound of the 90s. Right. But yeah. But I think yeah. that grittiness, you know, it's almost like the, the the pebbles that the boots are marching on. Like there's a there's an intentionality to the grittiness of this that I think is is quite brilliant. And especially when it is being released in the same era as overproduced stuff like Rod Stewart. Like, like this is the same era as uh, Fleetwood Mac's Rumors, right? Like, so yeah. yep. there's stuff that's getting yep. out there that is really well produced. Um, even, oh, absolutely. Even Hotel California, I think, is similar yep. kind of ballpark. Yeah, say Hotel California, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great era for music. Um, you know, there's a lot of great stuff. And they all did okay. Punk yeah. didn't bring it down. Punk didn't bring it tumbling down. Yeah, no, but, no, it didn't. And I think I guess I say all that to say that the the sound of this album has to be intentional. It wasn't just that the uh, oh, audio quality wasn't capable at the time of making it sound more polished. <laughs> like you know, when we listen to some of the old Delta Blues stuff uh, that you know um, Robert Johnson, for instance. That's a technological era challenge that yeah. that music sure. is, is struggling through. That's not the case here. No, you, there. I think there are those albums that come along, and uh, the the sound of the album, not just the sound of the band, but the sound of the album, is kind of defining and sets it over and against other other things. You know, it's yeah. like uh, in utero. You know, when uh, Nirvana. I mean that that sounded that didn't sound like that didn't mm -hmm. sound like other stuff that you know there was all the Seattle music but but then there was Nirvana and it didn't sound the same it just you know Butch Vig's production just took it in a in a a different a different direction yeah this past weekend this guitar player Andy Gill who was the architect of a band called the Gang of Four who were kind of like a a post punk band from around the same era um his guitar sound was like defining and it became something that it's like wow haven't heard that before how'd they do that and mm. somehow they did it with less less it, it seems more primitive but it's uh it's not more primitive it's just not the same as the other stuff mm. Mm. it's just not over overdone in the same way what about you mike songs that, that jump out for you yeah mike what about you <laughs> <laughs> brand new to this ridiculous stuff from the 70s you know there's a familiarity to god save the queen and anarchy in the uk uh yeah. for me but um okay when i heard bodies uh, i think that's what especially growing up that's what i thought like real in quotations real punk was like, sure uh, two middle fingers in the air, swearing your face off. <laughs> yep. Screw you, everybody. I don't care what you think. Like that was that was like the kind of the if I, I was listening to the punk rock that I was allowed to listen to. There was the other punk rock that was on the radio that was okay, and then there was like this other level out there that 
um, you know, I couldn't really touch that, that I didn't really want to touch. And this is what it was. Yeah. And so it was kind of fun to listen to that because I had listened to some of the stuff. I think that there were certain bands, punk bands in the 80s and 90s that took that one song and based their whole sound on it. Sure. Um, and like, we're just yeah. going to, and I think, you know, uh, Sex Pistols could have done a whole album of that. Um, but I think that I'm glad they didn't because it, then it's just redundant and it's not poignant anymore. Um, so, you know, I, I did kind of like that. It was kind of, it was kind of fun. kind of hit me by surprise, but yeah. you know, I do, I do, I did like it. And then, um, I like, I like problems. It, I kept flipping back between it kind of irritating me and me really, really liking it. Yeah. Just with him kind of like mumbling at the end, because that's kind of like, again, just the whole point of, you know, I'm, I'm going to get under your skin on yeah. purpose. Yeah. You know, and and I'm and I'm going <laughs> to express what I want to tell you in the way I want to do it on my terms. Yeah. Um, and it's going to piss you off. Yeah. And and then we can talk. You know, like <laughs> you know, then I've got your attention and we can address some issues. You know, so I, I like those things, those kind of edgy things that were those were the surprises for me. Um, you know, I knew I knew what I'd get in God Save the Queen, uh, but I didn't know some of the other ones. So those those ones were kind of kind of fun and, and new to me and i like that but um hmm. i i, I want to comment too you made a comment earlier barry on the drumming i really like the drumming on this album yeah yeah, yeah. me too I so think, many yeah. times it's like well punk rock is you know you can't play your instruments and you you do whatever well no it's like the drumming's not bad <laughs> like it's no no, no it's not bad at all it's good they're a good band i mean you know uh, much is oh, made yeah. of much is made of, of you know bands that can only, you know, sometimes I think it's Nick Cave that said, you know, you, your uh, limitations are actually a gift because that's, mm -hmm. you know, if you know your limitations, you know what you can't do, um, and then you do yeah. it. You can, <laughs> you find, can your find your sweet spot. You know, you can find yeah. your sweet spot, and uh, I think, uh, you know, limited ability doesn't mean that you're not good. In that in that limited realm, and I don't even know that it's limited. I mean, you know, it's basic rock drumming, you know. So, but you know, he's not Neil Peart from Rush for sure. <laughs> Rest in peace. Uh, yeah, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it was it was. It's a fun album. Um, it's. I, I think it's good when you're already pissed off. Um, <laughs> I, I think that helps a bit. Um, and there were times that I was, you know, kind of in a really good, kind of, you know, content, peaceful mood and put it on. And I was like, oh, maybe this isn't what I need right now. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> but there is an energy to it. And, and, you know, I think in the right state of mind, it's like, it's pretty great. Yeah. It's not a late night right before you go to bed album necessarily, but. Uh, <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> Wake up in the middle of the night to record a podcast. That's what it's supposed to be. Playing. Yeah, I might need a blast now. Yeah, there is a podcast that's been going for a couple of years called Disgraceland that talks about kind of the seedy underbelly of rock music mm. and how we continue to lift up people as idols, even when there's some pretty terrible things sure. that go on, kind of behind the yeah. scenes. And their second album, uh, second episode of all time was on Sid Vicious sure. and his sort of like rise and destruction and demise. Yeah. Um, 
and Sid and get, getting into Sid and Nancy. I think if someone wants to do a bit more of a deep dive on the personalities of the band, in addition to the documentary that you mentioned, Barry, I would suggest going and checking out Disgraceland. Just in general, it's a fun podcast if you like rock and roll and kind yeah. of the stories behind the stories. But but that episode in particular uh, gets to some Sex Pistols stuff that, yeah. uh, that it was helpful for me as someone who doesn't know a lot about the band. Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, Sid Vicious tragic figure um yeah and uh, yeah I, I think there was always a sense that wasn't going to end well and mm. uh, unfortunately that's what happened and, 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 and again he died before everything could be resolved or worked out exactly what happened but you know i think when you're when you're a heroin addict you you spin out of control but you think you still can control your world and uh Yep. You can't, and uh, it's heavy. And it, it is heavy, and it sounds like the people in his life were were there, <laughs> not to support him, but to just keep fueling that fire too. Yeah, so, um, yeah, quite a mess. But yeah, I mean, an interesting band. I mean, I, I think you know Johnny Rotten was definitely um, a key sort of figure in. And you know, quite the character and quite difficult. I think um, that would be an understatement. I think you know. I mean, I, the, the 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 reasons they they didn't last very long didn't have much to do with external forces. I think it was pretty much an in, an internal an internal thing. Um, Steve Jones, I think, was a great guitar player, and and I think he he would have probably been happy. Uh, I mean, I think he was really happy to be in the Sex Pistols but but I think he just wanted to be in a band and right. uh, and, and you know he's a great he's a great guitar player Steve Johnson he's gone on he's done yeah. quite a lot of stuff although you know I mean Johnny Rotten I really like Pill I don't know if Pill makes it on the list but um, his band after the Sex Pistols I think were really really interesting but um, huh. and Paul Cook you know hey. Glenn Matlock they're not on the list. We'll have to go and oh uh, yeah, check out time, check out Pill. They're they're yeah, yeah really really good. Okay. I sort of it's very different. It's like a complete mm -hmm. turn. Public Image Limited is what it stands for, but really good. I'm gonna check that out. Yeah, just one more to the list. Yeah. It's five hundred and two now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, the irony, Barry, is that you know as you referenced already. There are multiple lists. We're going off of the 2012 version, but there was also a 2003 yeah. version um, and a coffee table book as well. So we've got we've got a few dozen other albums just on these Rolling Stone <laughs> yeah. lists. And if the if the uh, track record is any indication, in the next couple of years we'll get another one and we'll have uh, yeah. to start all over again. Well, this is this uh, is like a ten year this is like a ten year project, right? Yeah, at least yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, <laughs> one year down. <laughs> wow, that's great. That's, that's great. One thing that we've done, Barry, is we've created a, a Spotify playlist for the podcast, and every time we do an album, we pick a couple tracks um, we put on the playlist so people can go and kind of uh, get a taste of all the music. So, um, since you're our guest, uh, what what two tracks would you put on a playlist from this album? Well, I mean, I, I I think you have to put "God Save the Queen" on. I mean, I don't, why? Oh, do you put "Anarchy in the UK"? Or do you just put those two on there and just be done with it? No, you need. 
see, this is the problem. Go total punk rock and pick three. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> or none. Or none. <laughs> yeah, none would be right. That's just F you, you know? Yeah. Just work it out for yourself. Don't be so lazy. <laughs> <laughs> or, or put two songs that they hated uh, on the playlist. Yeah. Exactly. Like Rod Stewart and, uh, and uh, Prog Rock song. Oh, that's I, I don't know. I, I, um, I, maybe... Uh, I'd go with Anarchy in the UK and Pretty Vacant. Perfect. Make it happen, Ben. All right. Done and done. So uh, we talked about this a bit, but a question we really like to ask, you know, we listen to all this great music, you know, from the past. Yeah. We like to ask, you know, is it, is it still relevant? And I think we've already answered that question a few times, you know, in terms of politics. But but what would you say about, never mind the bollocks, relevancy today, Barry? I think it's important to know where things come from. So from a pu- firstly, mm. from a purely historical place, and I mean historical within, if you like, the canon of popular music, this is mm. like one of those, you know, like they make those books, you know, a thousand artworks you must see before you die or, you know, places you must visit yeah. or books you must read. I, I, I just think it's, it's a must, a must listen because it, it gives you um, a way, like the reason that you go back to listen to what's gone before is to understand um, how we got to now <laughs> to some degree. It's no different yeah. than, yep. than, than uh, so from a historic perspective, uh, I think there's value because it's instructional in, in the developmental history of, of popular music. And if you're, if you know, if you're in a punk band, um, how can you be in a punk band and not know about the Sex Pistols? You know of what course. I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Or yeah. the Clash, yeah. or the Stranglers, or the Damned. You need to know those people because yeah. they you know, that comes mm-hmm. from there. But then I, I, I think it has uh, pertinence uh, today because it's uh, it's music that addresses a cultural moment in a profoundly different way than the cultural moment was being addressed by their peers for the most part. And, uh, you know, like I said, I don't want to just isolate the Sex Pistols as the only band that were, you know, doing it, but we're talking about, about this album and it, and its significance. And, and, and I think it's really important to, to recognize the fact that punk and particularly that the, the Sex Pistols were were counter counterintuitive, and they were countercultural, and what they said uh, was not well received uh, by uh, the establishment and the status quo at at the time, mm-hmm. and arguably um, its mission failed if if its goal was overthrow. But I don't know that uh, I think that's revolution and I think this is anarchy and anarchy calls Mm. into question and invites people uh, to throw off the shackles and find a new way to be themselves rather than just to simply overthrow and take over power. And I think um, the relevance of uh, God save the, uh, you know, never mind the bollocks is 
that we should still be never minding the bollocks and getting down to the serious business of addressing what is going mm. on uh, in, in our world um, in times like these. And then the third reason is because it's just a great album. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's just <laughs> a rock and roll album that makes you feel, um, it makes you feel, and, uh, and yeah. it makes you feel good, agitated, energetic, excited, angry, um, all, you know, it makes you feel a whole gamut and a whole range of, of things and and again i th i think uh the relevance is you put this on and it becomes timeless and i think that's why it's on yeah. i think that's why these albums are on there because they have they're of their time and yet they have a certain timelessness to them because they're of their time yeah i don't know that i have anything more to add that's pretty a uh, pretty good summary. that's a wrap folks <laughs> I, I think <laughs> i think that the thing that i think when I think about relevancy, I think, does this album grab me today? Yeah. Um, it, it's really hard to ignore if it's yeah. on and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you feel this compulsion to turn it up. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, so often music that agitates you, you want to turn it off. And weirdly, you know, maybe it's just something that I'm drawn to. I actually want it to be louder. And, um, yeah. and that's, that I think above all, I think makes me think this must be relevant. Um, you know, setting aside its historic yeah. influence and impact and importance. As well. And also you still won't hear anything quite like it. No. That's right. That's Not right. Really? Yeah. Well, on that note, God save the queen. <laughs> <laughs> she ain't no human being. I mean it, man. <laughs> well, Barry, before you go, we want to say thank You're you so welcome. much. I also was briefly looking at um, trying to come up with the, uh, title of the book that we used that you had authored in that class. I think it was Entertainment Theology, which you published yeah. several years ago. But and then I saw that you've got something coming out this summer. Is um, that is that yeah, right? Yeah, I, I actually have a. It, it's a theological memoir. Oh, awesome! Um, the title uh, is Sex, God, and Rock and Roll. Unfortunately, yeah, that is, wasn't my that wasn't my title. <laughs> but uh, my, my, my my title actually was uh, Sacred Anarchy. But, oh, uh, yeah, I know. Which is in your subtitle, I think. Catastrophes, yeah, well, I had to, I had to fight for that. Sure. and sacred anarchies. Oh, wow. But yeah, that's coming out. Um, and it, yeah, I, I talk a little bit about uh, punk in there, but it's about it's about uh, it's about my theological life, um, which I think is a life. So yeah, it's coming out in June, <laughs> June the fourth. That's awesome. Well, everyone. Go pre-order it. Uh, yeah, please. Pick up a copy when you when you can. And uh, yeah, and this has been a, an absolute gift, Barry. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Uh, it's been for, great for walking us through this. Nice to chat in the middle of the night about the Sex Pistols. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any other way, really? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> We'd love to have you back too. Um, Anytime. We still have uh, yeah, we still have four hundred and what are we at? Four hundred and fifty-nine albums left. So if there's yeah, something well, on this list that really stands out to you, uh, let us know. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be more than happy to. I, I love to talk about um, music. So um, yeah, let me know. Thank you. Uh, 
we don't have any other albums from the Sex Pistols on the top 500. Uh, <laughs> we always bring up if we do, and uh, because this is their only one, yeah. it's not even possible. Um, there you go. But we, we will have more music coming up in the future. Mike, do you know what we've got here next time around? Yeah, next week, uh, talk about album number 42, which is the self-titled album by The Doors. So we Should look forward on. to yeah getting together again. Barry, thanks again so much. We really You're appreciate so welcome. your time and uh, you know taking uh, hearing you take a bit of a, that trip down memory lane too was uh, was a real pleasure and a joy to, to spend this time with you. But uh, great, thank you so much. It was great to speak to you both. <laughs> thanks so much. Keep well. All right, All right. Yeah. <laughs> take care, guys. All right, bye. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed that classic episode of ours. Tune in next time for the next album on the new 2020 Rolling Stone list.